Before jumping into today's show, I want to remind you that the Happy as a Mother podcast is now the MomWell podcast. While our name is changing, our mission remains the same to empower moms like you by providing the knowledge, tools, and support you need to navigate the challenges of motherhood. On the MomWell podcast, we understand that motherhood is hard, but access to care and psychoeducation shouldn't be. We're committed to putting moms back on the priority list. I want every one of you to know how truly grateful I am for your support. You have helped shape and grow this community with your listens, your reviews, and your participation and comments on social media. It's because of you that we've been able to grow and evolve the platform. And it's because of you that we're able to show up the way we do and help moms everywhere. With the launch of MomWell, we're working diligently to bring you even more resources, learning opportunities, and services than ever before. Thank you so much for being a part of the Happiest Mother community. And I can't wait for you to be a part of MomWell. You're listening to the MomWell podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome Dr. Sarah Frazier on the show. Dr. Sarah is a family physician or general practitioner who works out of Nova Scotia, Canada, and I came across an article she wrote when I was seeking to understand the medical gaslighting of women. One day, I was reading an article in Harvard Business Review and came across a couple of statistics that stopped me dead in my tracks. One was that one in five women report feeling that a healthcare provider has ignored or dismissed their symptoms. One in five women. And that 45% of women said that they had been labeled as chronic complainers. Women often get stereotyped as dramatic, overly sensitive, hysterical, all of which are biases that can cause women's physical, mental health, or emotional concerns to be dismissed at the hands of providers. Gaslighting was the word of 2022, and it gives language to a really important experience that many of us face as women, but that we don't necessarily know how to describe. I've invited Dr. Sarah here today to help us understand what medical gaslighting is and why it impacts women so specifically. This takes us down a little historical road, understanding how women have been treated in medicine and by professionals, and how the history impacts the biases that some professionals have when treating women is pretty mind-blowing, actually. We go through how to understand if you are experiencing this form of gaslighting, what you can do if you're experiencing it, and how you can be informed and empowered and be on the lookout to prevent medical gaslighting in your own treatment and healthcare. If you've ever spoken to a provider, whether it is a doctor, a therapist, a lactation consultant, anyone really, and felt like your needs or your voice have been dismissed or not heard, it is not just you. Let's hear this important conversation with Dr. Sarah. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. 
On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. I recently went down the rabbit hole, like down, (laughs) down, down the rabbit hole, understanding a term for women's experience with the medical system. And I stumbled across your work and I was like, oh my gosh, we got to have you on. So thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to learn a little bit about your story. Maybe we even lift a bit of the story that you shared in the article that I stumbled across and how you came to, I guess, do a bit of a bigger or deep dive into understanding gaslighting Mm -hmm. with your own personal experience. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So I am a family doctor, a general practitioner. I work in Nova Scotia and um, throughout medical school and even residency, I had experiences a handful of times where looking back on it, I can say, oh, that was gaslighting. But it wasn't until recently, now being five, six years out of my training, where I was gaslit by a specialist colleague and I actually had the vocabulary, the terminology to be able to describe the experience and the confidence to actually recognize, no, I'm not crazy. I was doing a good thing, trying to do a good thing for a patient. And so what happened and what inspired me to write that article you came across is that I was working as a hospitalist, we call it. It's a doctor who takes care of patients in the hospital. Mm. Um, And I had a very sick woman under my care And the emergency room doctor who was on overnight had consulted a specialist to come see the patient for the following day. But the patient was admitted under me, so I was sort of waiting for the specialist to come see the patient. And it was after five o'clock, and, you know, specialists are very busy, as all doctors are. And Mm -hmm. I called this individual and said, hey, I just wanted to know if you want to see this patient. We had the imaging results come back and there were some concerning findings on imaging, very concerning. And I want to discuss these with you. And I'm wondering if you can see this person soon. And the specialist responded by telling me, oh, he was very busy. He's been interrupted all day. And anyway, yes, I'll I'll come see them soon. But it was just immediately, you know, my question was equivalent to everything else that was lighting up his phone all day. And I was immediately made to feel inferior that his time Mm. was somehow more valuable than my own. And Mm. then when the specialist did shortly afterwards come up and see the patient, then he said, you know, how long were you in train? How long have you been out of training? Oh, it gets easier and is diminishing my concerns. Mm. And afterwards, I really was questioning, was this a legitimate consult? What's going on with me? And I I had to actually speak with other colleagues about it. But then they all said, oh, no, that's a reasonable consult. And you did the right thing. And, you know, I felt validated in that. But he really had me guessing my own competence. Mm. And that inspired me to write about it, but also to dig into 
how this is not only at play in the institution of medicine, but in the relationship between patients and healthcare providers, patients and doctors. I see so many parallels to your story and the stories I've heard from countless clients and women and mothers who have taken their child into a merge Mm. or taken themselves in because of very heavy period flows Mm -hmm. or intense cramping or things like that Mm -hmm. to be met with, oh, like, did you take a pregnancy test and know Mm. you're fine? And then be like, is my pain real? Is it valid? Is it like, Mm. I see such a parallel there. And so I can't help but bring a gendered lens here to try and understand this experience, right? So can we maybe, in in the paper, you capture gaslighting and the history of the word. Actually, Mm -hmm. the word was deemed the word of 2022, gaslighting has been. So can we understand a little bit of the context of it, and then we'll start to apply it to moms and women? Absolutely. So in uh, researching for that article, I actually went back and watched the 1944 film Gaslight, which was based on a play And it's a black and white film. It's really good, but also disturbing psychologically. But I do recommend watching it. Mm. And so the husband in that movie was changing the central controller of the gaslight. So the lamps that were in houses at the time, I think it was set in the 1880s, though the film was made later, is that they were all centrally controlled via kind of a pipe system. So the husband was changing the light from bright to more dim. And then his wife was looking around and saying, hey, the lights are changing. And he said, no, they're not. He did other things like uh, pretended to give or gave her um, an heirloom and, and then stole it from her. And so she thought she lost it. So over the course of the film, she starts to believe that she's actually going crazy. Mm. But really, it was part of a psychological manipulation. Mm. And... Yeah. And then the term became more apparent in the psychiatric literature in the 1960s, where it was applied to intimate partner violence. And then more recently, medical gaslighting has come to light. But it's all in the context of existing power structures. And in fact, misogyny that dates back centuries, especially in the field of medicine. Right. Oh my goodness, so many pieces to unpack here, right? Because we have this power hierarchy of a doctor who is a gatekeeper to any other care we need. Mm -hmm. And then we've also got this layer of being women who have been hystericalized, like traditionally. Mm -hmm. So there's some history there too. Can you align that a little bit for us? Absolutely. Yeah. So again, fascinating and disturbing. Right. So... Hippocrates, who was known as the father, uh, <laughs> note the word father. Hmm. So the, the patriarch in medicine has existed for millennia, but right. he, uh, born in you know 460 BC, agreed with the philosophy that hysteria is, you know, the concept of a woman's uterus is actually floating around within her abdomen. So he believed that, as did many physicians before him. And this is the person, we still say the Hippocratic Oath in medicine, do no harm. And at the end of our four years of training, we need to recite this and we need to you know, swear that to this oath. But he thought, and many other people before him and after him, thought that the uterus was actually migrating and floating around within a woman's abdomen. And the word hystera actually is Greek for uterus. And that it is attracted to certain scents and is responsible for 
psychologic abnormalities. So this concept that women were hysterical and the association of, you know, psychiatric illnesses with the concept of the uterus or, or being a woman is, is thousands and thousands of years old. And then it wasn't actually until 1980 when I, can, I cannot, I cannot, I, I cannot. <laughs> 19 freaking 80. Like that was like, I was born just a few years later. Like that's within our mother's and grandmother's lifetime. Like, yes, exactly. Now, now, before that, people did realize that the uterus was not floating around in the body. Yes. But it was in that year that hysteria was actually taken out or not included in the next version of the DSM, which is sort of the Bible of psychiatric illnesses. And history also includes things like healthy women in their 20s getting their ovaries removed for diagnoses like hysteria. To treat mental illness or like instability, they would remove reproductive body parts. Exactly. And at at first it was indicated for some other diagnosis, but then uh, there's this concept called indication creep. So they kept removing ovaries for more and more things, ultimately even including period pain or what we call dysmenorrhea um, Mm. or even psychiatric illnesses. It's right up there with frontal lobotomies in terms of disgraces of medical history. And, like, listeners may be wondering why the heck we need this history lesson right now. But here's Mm -hmm. the thing. We're talking about less than 100 years ago, this was a very common mindset in medicine and psychology and treatment, generally speaking. And one Mm -hmm. of the things that we've been talking about here is that as a platform, we're changing the way that women and mothers are treated, Mm -hmm. you know, treated both in care and treated just in like the human sense of the word, right? Mm -hmm. So there's something for us to understand is that there are these biases that can exist and do exist. And when we can see them and label them and identify them for themselves and not as us and go into that doubting that you had brought up, Mm -hmm. then we can like be empowered to do something about it, right? Like, what are, would you say, some of the key red flags or feelings that what you're experiencing is actually gaslighting? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think like you said, just recognizing that it is a thing that is out there that can happen is really important. But for example, say if you go to your doctor and you've gone back maybe multiple times with the same issue and you don't really feel like that physician is listening to you, Mm. that could be a sign. But also, if you go home, how do you feel after that interaction? Do you feel good? Do you feel like, okay, there's going to be progress in terms of getting to the bottom of what's going on with me? Or are you starting to think, oh, maybe this is all in my head. Maybe I'm not actually feeling that thing. Or maybe what I'm feeling is totally normal. If you start to doubt yourself or maybe even at an extreme question your own sanity, like in that movie and like happens so often, those could be signs that you're being gaslit. I hear this a lot from women, mothers who have some form of invisible illness or chronic Mm -hmm. pain 
particularly endometriosis or PCOS, because those are, Mm -hmm. you know, things that women commonly face and encounter during reproductive years and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And the way that either it's written off as we can't do anything or the way that they feel that they've been flagged as like overly anxious. There was actually, I was reading something in Harvard Business Review that said 40% of women feel that they've been labeled as complainers. Mm, and mm-hmm. so I think that it's just so that feeling of like not being taken seriously, that there is no further investigation we can do or kind of being written off. I don't know. Like that's the feeling or the sense that I get from a lot of moms is like they've dismissed it. It, it doesn't matter. Does that make sense mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. I remember when I was a medical student, I heard a resident in obstetrics and gynecology refer to the discipline as whiny gyny. Mm. And so even just throwing that term around when there are learners around earlier in their career, it's already perpetuating this super harmful stereotype that women are whiners and complainers when it comes to actual pelvic disease, endometriosis being a prime example. And I think that the diseases like that, like fibromyalgia, for example, diseases that are not well understood are sometimes the ones that might be most vulnerable to being gaslit because those are the things that actually take time. Hmm. You need to really listen. You need to do a full history, physical. There are you know many layers of tests that might need to be done to diagnose endometriosis, including tests that are hard to get in a public healthcare system like where I work in Nova Scotia, Canada, and like many parts of Canada or other places in the world, most likely, Hmm. it may not be easy to get an MRI. And sometimes laparoscopy is needed to actually have a surgical camera go in and look at the tissue and find and see if they can see any endometrial tissue that is not in the place it should be, which is what endometriosis is. Hmm. And so I think the other piece of it that's important to remember, like the systemic piece, not only are there hierarchical power structures in place in medicine, power dynamics when it comes to doctors and patients, but also the level of, for lack of a better word, burnout. We're coming out of a pandemic right now, right? Like the resources, the, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Doctor burnout is over 50% as per the most recent Canadian Medical Association data. And so I think that that is a scenario that will also lend itself to gaslighting. Not that it always needs to be a conscious I am gaslighting you. I, you know, I think it's often subconscious, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you have a very stretched system, limited resources, a short time from a provider perspective, it is a challenge to listen, to really take the time to do all the investigations that need to be done. But it's just another factor that I think we need to be aware of when we're talking about gaslighting. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that bias plays a big role in how we behave in these instances. Like our biases towards women, our biases towards age. Mm-hmm. There's so many things there. A biases about and perceptions about mothers being overly anxious or fearful. Mm-hmm. I say that also knowing and being a therapist who works with moms who do struggle with anxiety or who have had trauma. And so there mm-hmm. are real mental health pieces that like not every 
thing is physical. Sometimes it is psychological or it is somatic mm-hmm. or it is, you know, but it mm-hmm. requires some further investigation, but that doesn't mean that it needs to be dismissed entirely. It needs to be referred to like the correct treatment or the correct professional to be able to support through, right? Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes it might even just take listening and you may not need to refer or investigate everything if it is very likely to be a certain condition that doesn't require extensive investigations or referrals, but it comes down to communication. And I think in explaining why those investigations might not be needed and explaining why this other thing might be the most likely diagnosis. And I think if you take the time as a, as a provider and do that, then the, the patient can walk away feeling more relieved. But l- like you said, I, I, I don't think every single condition needs to be worked up or tested to an extreme degree if you're, and sometimes that can even be harmful to have extensive tests and investigations. Mm, that are unnecessary. Yeah. That are unnecessary. But I think that if you're not doing those things, then we need to be communicating the reasons why. It brings to mind a story of a client of mine that I worked with And she'd had a very traumatic birth, followed by an infection after birth and was very sick. It was very, very traumatic for both her and her partner. Mm. Uh, So there was a lot of distrust in how the medical system and the doctors on the scene at the time dealt with some things. And Mm -hmm. so after the fact, she developed some really intense chronic pain that Mm. was like minimized and dismissed. And so it's really, really tricky, I think, when we have, I don't know, trauma or anxiety or health anxiety or other, like there's been some confirmation that, you know, the healthcare system is tricky or our doctors maybe aren't trustworthy or we've been gaslit before. There's a real Mm -hmm. distrust that can happen. Mm -hmm. And ultimately part of our therapy and working together was her being able to like ask questions, advocate for herself, you know, Mm -hmm. get a referral to the appropriate doctor and things like Mm -hmm. that. And she ended up finding an OB-GYN who listened and she Mm -hmm. was floored. Like, Mm -hmm. and it was a female doctor who said, you know what? Like, we're going to figure the pain out. If you really think that you, you know, whatever the line of questioning was, we'll do the scope or whatever to check and see if it is endometriosis. Sure enough, Mm -hmm. it was. And Mm -hmm. her uterus was fused to her C-section scar. And like, like there was so, there was scar tissue. There were so many things valid Mm -hmm. that were happening in her body, Mm -hmm. right? So I think that like in the, I don't know, response to, feeling gaslit and feeling powerless is one, like you, like we said, identifying it, identifying Mm -hmm. the feeling, distancing it from us. We're not overly sensitive. We're not emotional. We're not hysterical. Mm -hmm. Like if we're feeling pain or if we, you know, are concerned about something that that is valid. Mm -hmm. And then I think that there is this piece of like, how do we navigate the system now? Like, what do we do with that? Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's amazing that she found someone who, was thorough and did the appropriate tests. And in not in all situations will you be able to get even a second opinion in the current healthcare system. And um, right. but I, I would say, you know, some things that you can do to advocate for yourself. If you don't trust the person who's providing you care, that's just not a good place to be starting from. And if a right. patient doesn't trust me, I would want that patient to find someone else who they did 
trust. That's a huge part. And you have to build that trust as well. Mm-hmm. So seeking, you know, a second opinion is a very valid thing to do. And then if you have, you know, two separate medical professionals and they are saying the same thing, then that might be helpful. But mm-hmm. also learning how to advocate for yourself. And so I would say one thing is to, when you come to a medical appointment, to actually, you know, write down what you would like to say and what your main concern is and really think deeply about, you know, what is the main concern? If I'm feeling like I'm not being listened to, what is it specifically that I want heard? And to make it clear right at the start of the appointment and come in with that main goal of this is what I really need done or I'm really concerned I have endometriosis and it may take doing research. I think a lot of patients are doing more and more Googling of their health conditions. I actually don't think that's a bad thing. And there's been research that actually states that it can be beneficial to do that, even though you don't always want to trust Google for medical advice. I think (laughs) learning as much as you can about what you think you might have is like a really positive thing. And then bringing someone with you as well to an appointment, if it's a, a partner, a friend, a family member, or someone who can be a second set of ears to help communicate, to help take that information back, because it can sometimes be overwhelming to go to a doctor and you can leave not really knowing what was said a lot of the time. So I think having a support person could be another way to prevent gaslighting, really, or be mindful if it's occurring to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting and protective, especially when we talk about women of color, when we talk about like the rates of, you know, death of like black women in the U.S. and there's a whole that's a whole other topic for another day Mm -hmm. but like having a a safe person having an advocate potentially with you somebody who can reaffirm your Mm -hmm. position or help you feel like more powerful or like less of an imbalance in that situation right because you spoke about those those Mm -hmm. power dynamics Mm -hmm. and the feeling of feeling really small or like insignificant and that power dynamic is something that's really kind of at the core of what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I am a white doctor and I have felt gaslit in my professional settings before, but for someone who is racialized or has a low socioeconomic status and also women, like you probably heard of the example of Serena Williams who had a C-section and then, yeah. and this is all public knowledge, she's had a history of pulmonary emboli. And then she felt short of breath shortly after her operation and her blood thinners were held because normally that is done during surgery to prevent excess bleeding. And she immediately said, I need a CAT scan of my lungs right now. And and she wasn't listened to. And, uh, you know, I think they did an ultrasound first. And But she did indeed have blood clots in her lungs. So yeah, like you said, what is happening to black women is atrocious. And she's doing a lot of work and advocacy around that since her experience, especially. Yeah. And I don't think we can have a complete conversation about medical gaslighting without highlighting the experience of, I say particularly black women, because I work with moms and women, you know, And things like not receiving pain medication in pregnancy and Mm -hmm. the assumptions in medicine about pain tolerance Mm -hmm. and talk about history of being hystericalized. There's this whole other history of Black people, particularly Black women in medicine, that Mm -hmm. carry biases forward. So 
Mm. It's really important, I think, as you said, to feel empowered in these situations. I think a safe person, like a partner, especially if you're going to appointments like uh, that are about baby and you want to share in that with him, I think that inviting them in helps to share in the invisible load too and gets them in there and involved, Mm -hmm. but then also helps you to feel more safe and secure. Sometimes that might look like a doula Mm -hmm. or it might look like working with midwives if that's more your comfort level. Like it just depends on the person and and access to resources and all of those things. But mm-hmm. but something that helps to make you feel a bit more secure in the situation, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Hey? Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that would be of great help. And one of the things um, I had done an episode on when treatment becomes trauma with a psychologist who had specialized in trauma at the time. And she recommended that her clients start by asking the doctor initially, like, can you be present with me? today, like I, like I have something that's a big concern. I'm curious from a physician's mm-hmm. perspective, because I've talked to some clients about this to say like, you know, entering the appointment to say like, I'm a little on edge. I've had a traumatic experience with the medical system lately. Like, can you dial up your humanity for me for a second? Mm-hmm. Like, it's a big deal, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm curious what your like reaction to that would be, or maybe some other suggestions you might have for how people can start that interaction. Yeah, I personally would really appreciate if someone said that to me, because I think our days in our clinics can be so busy and so hectic and you go into the room and you may have just come out from who knows what. Yeah. yeah, And you're Mm -hmm. in a new situation and you try your best to, you know, be there for the person, but it's not always top of mind. Oh, I need to make sure. Am I thinking, has this person gone through a traumatic experience? So I personally would really appreciate if a patient came into me and said, look, there's something I'm really worried about talking about. I feel like I haven't been listened to before when I've said this. And I really am hoping that you will take this concern seriously. I would think, okay, this got to be something serious. Whatever I was doing, I'm here, I'm listening. And I think that would be helpful and healthy. I've had a lot of clients have success with it especially at the beginning when working with a new provider that you don't have the rapport with yet and you're trying to feel out and get to know. It's like, Mm -hmm. I know that you're busy. Can I have this time? It's kind of have your attention. There's something going on. And that Mm -hmm. takes our own, you know, practice to be able to be assertive and to advocate for ourselves and to even just validate that this is worth advocating for. I think sometimes that's even really difficult. I've had like persistent migraines forever that I just spoke to my doctor about after like years of just Advil and like powering through, you know, I think that sometimes we wait until it's also so bad before we bring it to the attention because Mm -hmm. we do that dance with ourselves of whether it's bad enough or we've been Mm -hmm. invalidated before, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah, I'm an advocate for coming (laughs) early (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So I like what you said about, you know, things that people can do. I like what you said about, you know, coming in, setting the stage for the importance of the health concern that's going to be coming up. And also this, because of the system constraints right now, you know, sometimes you'll go to a walk-in clinic and you'll see a sign and it says only one issue per visit. Yeah. And well, (laughs) I'm not a fan of that, but at the same time, What I find personally is that if someone kind of saves up a lot of things that have been going on for a number of years and there's like five different things and I'm trying to get it all done in one visit, usually what happens is I will forget to do something on one of those things. So Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the other piece is that for 
what patients can think about too, in terms of having women healthcare providers, whether it's women doctors, women nurses, midwives, LPNs, that women, and I speak especially about women physicians, that we burn out at higher rates than men. And there's a lot more emotional labor within family medicine that women carry when compared to men family physicians, because um, Mm. yeah, patients often feel more comfortable telling us more things. And that's good. But at the same time, it, it can lead to more burnout amongst women physicians, for example. Mm -hmm. So I guess the other piece of it is that if you have more than one issue, you can come in and discuss more than one issue. But if you have kind of a, a main focus of your visit and to really allow the time to delve into that issue, do the necessary blood work, do the necessary paperwork, just not miss anything and not forget anything in this chaotic system that is healthcare today. That's that's one other thing that I think people can do to just get better care for themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. And I can see how it could become overwhelming if, you know, all of a sudden someone has struck rapport with you and they have it with any other doctor. So they're like, the floodgates sort of open of here are all the things that I haven't felt comfortable to talk about, right? right. And and what do we triage first? And what is the priority? And yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Yeah. And I think it's a two-way street, like the patient saying, I really need to focus on this. And then for the doctor to say, yes, let's focus on that. But I really, that other thing you mentioned, I, I want to get that, but I want to give it its full attention. And I want to get you back in two weeks and let's give that issue a lot of attention. Yeah. And I've heard of doctors who've done this really well with some of my clients who have been, you know, advocating for themselves and learning this. They're like, we might not get to this right now, but we are not going to let you continue like this. Like Mm -hmm. we will investigate this Mm -hmm. and we'll do this first, but we will get to it. And I think even just that reassurance of I've heard you, Mm -hmm. we will do this Mm -hmm. and let's work with the top priority and sort of work our way through them. Mm -hmm. So just that like feeling heard and feeling seen. Mm -hmm. There's one other sort of like pain point and I don't know how it plays in here, but like, let's just hash it out for a moment. Let's do it. I hear this a lot with my audience. I don't know if you would hear this a lot as a physician, but I work with women who are struggling with postpartum depression, anxiety, uh, Mm -hmm. potentially postpartum psychosis Mm -hmm. or bipolar or whatever the case may be, just even maybe struggling to adjust to motherhood more blanketly, sort of speaking, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And one of the themes that I have encountered, and I don't know if this falls under the gaslighting category, is fear of speaking about their struggles for fear of being reported to the authorities for fear of having their child removed from their care Mm. or for fear of this being on record or in some way Mm -hmm. sort of stating that they're not fit in some way. Mm -hmm. Is this something that you encounter? Is this a fear that clients have brought to you at all? I deal with the more mental health space, so I encounter this frequently, but I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I I guess I probably haven't had people mention that concern to me. And maybe they're not mentioning that concern to me because they're avoiding. You would be the reporter potentially. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have patients who are very concerned about that and involved in that world. Yeah. But I haven't really had people tell me sort of before that would happen. Mm -hmm. But in terms of it being, you know, a mental health issue, like if it's anxiety, if it's depression, postpartum, the child would have to be at risk in order for, you know, any reporting to have to occur. But 
perhaps people aren't, you know, coming forward with that. And maybe they don't know like the extent to which the risk has to be in order for that kind of reporting to occur. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's something that we prioritize on our platform, being a safe place, non-judgmental place for moms to come, having therapists who are specialized in Mm -hmm. this adjustment to motherhood, Mm -hmm. you know, that we are not like trigger happy on the reporting of (laughs) authority. Like that's not actually something that we even really have to do. Mm -hmm. Like there would have to be such a serious intent there. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's gaslighting or if it's just fear or Mm -hmm. if it's, I don't know what plays into this. But there's definitely something there. And I just wanted to throw it out in this conversation that your physician or your OBGYN or your therapist, especially when we're talking our platform that is catered and specialized to working with moms and the nuances Mm -hmm. of the postpartum period, Mm -hmm. that we know how to assess and determine whether there is intent. And we know the questions to ask and the things. And it would have to be like you said, there would have to be a real imminent Mm -hmm. risk to that child in that situation. So you struggling, you needing help, you being depressed, you having like thoughts of suicide or intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. or, you know, struggling to get up and shower because we're feeling really low or whatever Mm -hmm. it may look like. Mm -hmm. These are actually probably more common experiences than you could ever imagine. Mm -hmm. And don't let something like that prevent you from seeking care? Well, I think that's so important because, you know, if you don't seek care, then those symptoms are more likely to persist. And yeah, all the things that you mentioned are certainly not reportable and more common than not. Yeah. Well, when we think one in five women struggle with postpartum depression or anxiety, Mm -hmm. 99% of women postpartum, mothers postpartum experience scary and intrusive thoughts, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's the intrusive thoughts bit that really catches people up because Mm. intrusive thoughts, when you say them out loud, they're kind of disturbing. And so we feel like if we tell our provider, Mm -hmm. hey, I'm having these really scary thoughts of like driving my car off the bridge, Mm -hmm. you know, or something like that, then there is a fear there, right? Like to this, okay, here's where I feel like it plays into the gaslighting is that power dynamic, Mm. right? Because it's like, if I tell you this, you have the power to Mm -hmm. report me or take my child away. Like, so I don't know if it's quite gaslighting, but the power dynamic makes moms and women very nervous and apprehensive. Right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think the power dynamic is definitely there, which is also present in gaslighting. Yeah. I I don't know if it would be classified as gaslighting specifically, like making someone doubt themselves, but is definitely a problem. That power dynamic, I feel, is how it's like, it's like a cousin of sorts. I don't know. We'll dive mm-hmm. down that rabbit hole another day and really figure out what that term is because it does feel like it's a part of this family, but maybe not quite in the same way. But yeah, I wanted to throw that out there too. And I think mm-hmm. that the strategies that we've discussed here with talking to your provider about gaslighting or about being anxious about something can mm-hmm. also be applied to that situation. That, like when you're nervous to discuss something postpartum Mm -hmm. or maybe even an additional layer to this if that is a piece where how do we start that conversation to ask for help with our provider might be like do you have specialized training in perinatal mental health or or like asking their experience in treating mothers who are newly postpartum or pregnant and Mm -hmm. and or postpartum or something and maybe there's a referral to be had or something so that you know that you're in the care of somebody who understands the nuances of this season in your life, right? Mm-hmm, if possible, mm-hmm. in this healthcare system, the wild, wild, <laughs> west that we're navigating right now. 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's the caveat to everything, but I but, know. <laughs> I so appreciated this conversation and your time today. If people are curious to read your article or any of the other writings or work that you do, can they find you online anywhere? Absolutely. Uh, you can find my writing online at sarahfrasermd.com or on social media at Sarah Fraser MD. And then the medical journal I work with and where I published that article is called Canadian Family Physician. And we're on Instagram at CFP Journal. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. I've appreciated this. Thank you. It was wonderful. It really starts to get me going when I hear about the ways that women have been treated. Our mothers and our grandmothers were around when hysteria was a psychological diagnosis and valid explanation for emotions or mental health challenges in women. That just completely blows my mind. It's discovering statistics like this that really fuels my passion for creating a platform where mothers can access the care that they need by professionals that they know are specialized and safe, non-judgmental, and won't just dismiss or minimize their concerns and their challenges. If you are struggling in motherhood, I want you to know that you are not alone and that motherhood is hard but your care doesn't have to be. I encourage you to book in with one of our mom wealth therapists who can support you along any stage of your motherhood journey. Head to momwell.com to learn more. That's momwell.com. I'll see you right back here. Same time, same place next week where we are being joined by founder of Diary of an Honest Mom, Libby Ward, to talk all things mom guilt, mom rage, and social contracts of motherhood. You do not want to miss this episode. It is a really special one. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center to join the momwell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. Until then, remember that you have to be well to momwell.